This week, the U.S. Treasury market hit an ominous, dubious record. The spread between the three-month Treasury bill yield and the 10-year Treasury note was inverted for a record 212 consecutive trading sessions, surpassing 1980. Of course, many people have gotten used to the three-month, 10-year Treasury inversion, like the two-year Treasury inversion, and are saying this is a false signal. This time is actually different. The economy is more resilient than it's ever been, yet the marketplace remains as confident as ever that rates are going to end up being lower than they are today, certainly lower than Federal Reserve and ECB and other policymakers plan on them higher for longer, or in Europe, it's called held for longer. And despite the policies and projections, the markets continue to be completely confident that something else is happening. The economies are getting weaker, but it can't just be economic recession or economic downturn. There has to be something else that is, that is causing market participants to be so stubborn in the way they're pricing the near-term and longer-term future. Mr. Stephen Van Meter, I'm going to bring you in here. We've got we've got the three month ten year Treasury uh, curve that's inverted, but it's not just that one. It's it's the curves in Europe. It's curves in other spaces, not just uh, Treasury or bond markets. We've got inverted money rate curves. So, how do we interpret this new record? You know, Jeff, I love this because this is what we hear all the time. You have this, there's this human reaction that, hey, something's signaling that bad things are coming. There's what we know the yield curve does when it inverts, but it's never a timing mechanism. You and I have talked about this before. You can't set a clock to this thing because it's not how it works. And so, but what is the normal reaction? Well, hey, it's been three months and nothing bad happened. And then six months and nothing bad happened. Then after a point, everyone's like, hey, nothing bad's going to happen. It's a totally worthless signal. I'm going to go buy a whole bunch of stocks because the yield curve is wrong here. What's going to happen is the opposite. We're going to get long rates going higher because the curve this time, even though we know historically what it actually means, it gets now reinterpreted to say that perhaps long rates are going up. We need to short more of the long bond. And that's what the new signal is. But Jeff, we know that's not the case at all. We know what these money curves tell us. And as you said, the probabilities that rates are coming down on the intermediate and long end of the curve are suggesting that the Fed is completely wrong here and all the other central bankers are wrong. But if you listen to what they talk about, they think rates are going higher. Bond market says, you all are crazy. Keep raising rates because eventually you're going to be cutting them. Yeah, talk about timing here. There was an interesting article in Bloomberg just yesterday. And by yesterday, I mean September 16th. And what it said was that somebody has been betting big this past week on rate cuts. So even as the Fed gathers this coming week to either pause or maybe hike another time, we don't know yet, uh, probably more likely a pause than not. It's funny. It's interesting how this week we got this, this, this uh, story suggesting that more people in the marketplace, more options investors are thinking they need to hedge or speculate on rate cuts coming up in 2024. Here's what it said. And these are these are options linked to SOFR futures. One trade position for a 3% rate by the middle of next year versus a current market level of around 5%. The premium paid on the bet was in excess of $10 million. Other similar trades surrounding March were also made over the course of the week, which raises the question here, 
what is it about this week that sort of triggered this kind of reassessment or this kind of of hey let's let's look at next year let's look at a, a increased possibility what what did the market uh, figure out that maybe policymakers haven't about this week and moving forward that's causing more not just the resolute inversion the continued inversion of the yield curve but also now speculating on speculating more confidently and, and more strenuously about rate cuts coming maybe this year or next year? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff, because that's really what we're all trying to find the answer to. We we hear that next year there's likely to be a recession just based on what we hear from academics. And even the kind of the Fed suggests that, hey, things are going to slow down a bit. But in the Fed world, that just means no more hikes. And yet, but I want to do want to challenge you push back on one thing you did say is that we're not sure what's going to happen next week. The answer is we have absolute certainty because Nick Timrus, the Wall Street Journal said it's going to be a pause. And we all know that he is got the ear of Powell. So that's all that matters. Whatever he says, I take that to the bank every week. But you're right. Is something changed this week to give all of a sudden speculators the notion that Perhaps these central bankers may come through with another hike over the next couple of months, but their goose is getting cooked. And I think a lot of it is we're just not seeing the global economy turn around. We're not seeing demand pick back up. We're seeing inflation pick up, up due to, of course, crude oil prices, but broad demand from consumers, it's just not there. Yeah, and don't you agree, Steve, and we'll talk about this a little bit more here, that it's not just recession here. This is not what's really causing, you know, options investors to to speculate further on lower interest rates. It's the, it's not really the uh, recession or a mild recession that's causing the inverted yield curve to remain inverted to a record amount. There's there's more risks to the downside than just hey, this is like 2001. We get a mild recession, we come out of it, maybe a shallow recovery thereafter. The risks to the downside include the the economic recession becoming maybe very, very uh, much sharper in the initial period or in the case of Europe, which is already in recession, the recession getting much worse and then maybe staying there for a prolonged period. But that may not be the only thing either, right? Because you and I have been talking about commercial real estate. The mainstream media has been talking about commercial real estate. Everybody's been talking about commercial real estate all along. And when you look at the actual data, we don't see any resolution. It's not like the commercial real estate is just kind of in the background, slowly fixing itself. It's actually in the background, slowly, incrementally getting worse. And people are afraid to do much about it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So maybe that's a combination of, and you know this, Steve, as the recession probabilities go up, as the potential recession depth and length gets to continue to be forecast in the marketplace anyway, much worse than maybe the mainstream is anticipating, that's going to lead to even more pressure on a sector that is already significantly pressured. And that raises the chances of something going boom along the way. Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, you, you look, let's look at the Fed data, the H.4.1, and what do we see? Bank term funding program, probably the only thing that right now matters on the Fed balance sheet. We want to see that coming down. That's what you want to see. And granted, you could make the case, well, Steve, it's not going up that much, but every week it's more and more. So you literally have this insolvent banking system in the U.S. that nobody wants to talk about. Because remember, all the policymakers, they came came in, wallpapered over the, you know, the mold, everything's fine. Nobody wants to talk about how these small and mid-sized regional banks are insolvent. Now, the problem is not only insolvent, but guess what loans they're holding? Commercial real estate. And we've talked about it on your show. They can't take a haircut. They're going to have to. Somebody's going to have to lose some money on this deal. And the banks can't afford to lose a penny right now. 
So you have kind of what I see is a perfect storm coming for the banks that they're not going to be able to survive. And that's what the, again, what I think the Fed's going to have to massively cut. They might go to zero faster than they've ever gone in history because once you start to see another bank fail, and then that's going to create a cascading effect because you look at the commercial real estate. Once these loans start all hitting and they hit in a big group, the banks are just going to roll over and fold. The Fed's only solution because we know they can't fix the problem. But they have only one answer. Let's go back to zero. And I think it happens so quickly that nobody really sees it coming. But maybe these options traders are starting to look ahead going, you know what? The system isn't healing here. And I think that's the key point. Maybe the consumer is slowing down. Maybe we do have a you know, bit of a soft landing effect, but the system isn't healing. That's what I think the big issue is. I agree with you, Steve, and I think it's both of those. I think the commercial real estate problem is getting better or getting worse, not better. At the same time, the recession, the probability the economy is getting slightly worse, not better. So you have the both of those, and it doesn't take much for those two to get together and combine, and then you're in real trouble. I want to bring in some data here, something called the Green Street Commercial Property Price Index, which is a one of the more well-known uh, indexes for commercial real estate. What they said about August was, on average, prices are down 15%, 15% from their June 22 peak. And these are these are the more liquid uh, investments and more liquid assets in the commercial commercial property real estate sector. Now, it leaves us wondering what's going on in the illiquid parts of it. So anyway, however, interest rates have been rising. The yield on the 10 years almost 4.3. Prospective buyers will be lowering their bids from here. Sellers are usually reluctant to accept lower prices. So deal activity may go quiet for a bit, and that's not a good sign. That's a bad sign. When sellers are up here and buyers are down here and nobody can take, you know, the sellers, as you just said, can't take the lower prices, and the buyers are like, we want to go even lower, <laughs> you end up with zero activity, which creates a whole big set of uh, additional problems because we can't value anything. And that's one of the big problems that we have right now is that, the liquid prices are already going down, but we have no idea how banks are valuing, carrying these assets on their books, what values they got everything. And as prices continue to drop, valuations are going to end up going down too. And when they do, I think that's when the rubber really hits the road here. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff, because you have an insolvent banking system and you have illiquid commercial real estate market. So you can almost see the storm coming, right? It's so easy. These loans are going to come due. Now, in normal conditions, well, the way we know commercial real estate works is building values rarely ever decline much. But when they do, there's usually a buffer enough that you know the companies that buy them have to have this margin on them. So it's not really a big deal. But the problem is these loans are structured as interest only. They're non-recourse. So they have no claim. The banks really can't do anything here, particularly since a lot of these buildings will be held in some separately formed either corporate entity structure. So you start to look at this. The building is going to come due. The rates are going to go up. We know the occupancy is in the toilet. So obviously, the only solution if you own one of these buildings is hands the key to the bank. Now, the bank can escape this option, right? If there was a liquid market trading in commercial real estate, the people would pay effectively full value for these things, but there's not. And I'm going to make a very controversial statement here on your show, Jeff. Uh, so controversial, you may have to edit this out. And that is during the next recession, there's going to be a massive push to end the work from home mantra. 
a government will come in somehow, offer incentives, support, get people back. Because if you see these buildings start to go, you know, down 50% in value and go into delinquency, insolvency, and default, well, a lot of people are going to find out that the local municipalities, the cities, and counties, well, they get a lot of tax revenue from these buildings, and it's going to go down. And that means they're going to have to lay off too. It's going to be a gigantic mess. To my view, work from home is coming to an end. Not a lot of people want to hear that. Can we get that into a Fed tool, though? Because I think that's the newest tool from the Fed. End the work from home program. I mean, that's I would somewhat controversial there, Steve. But I don't know how much it because you're right. If you if you follow this line of thinking all the way to the end, that's really what we're talking about here. Because the commercial real estate sector impacts a lot more than bank balance sheets. It impacts a lot more than a feedback effect on the real economy. We're talking about, as you said, a lot of tax revenue. Uh, that kind of, I mean. There's a lot to go on here. And if it does go in that direction, the Fed's tool, the Fed's next tool is going to be something like that. And it's, it's important to point out here, too, uh, that this is not just a U.S. problem. We tend to focus on U.S. regional banks. We tend to focus on U.S. commercial real estate. Here's what Green Street had to say about European commercial real estate. It's actually much worse situation over there. Green Street Pan-European Commercial Property Price Index. Scant transactional evidence suggests that buyers and sellers are still struggling to see eye to eye on pricing. Deals that have managed to close have gone through lengthy processes, shedding some light on the impact higher borrowing costs and higher borrowing rates have had on asset prices over the last 12 plus months. So it's the same thing there where buyers are way down here, sellers are way up here, and it's taking a huge process to even get some transactions done in the most liquid part of the market. And as Steve just said, it'd be one thing if the marketplace for some of these deals was continuing to be liquid, where the bid-ask spreads are relatively decent. And maybe you got to mark down the price a little bit to get a buyer to, to go in there. But that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing the they're so far apart that no deals are getting done in the most liquid assets. And that leads us to something else that was talked about this week in Europe, which was the ECB's latest rate hike, which surprised some people. And at that uh, at the press conference, Christine Lagarde was asked about rate cuts because we can see the economy in Europe that's already in recession is getting worse. Even the ECB's models, as I talked about in the video yesterday, they're forecasting a worse economic output. And Lagarde, you know, like any central banker, continues to say they're going to be data dependent. And so one. One unusually enterprising reporter asked her, okay, you say you're data dependent and you want to hold rates higher for longer or held for long is what they say in Europe. What if the data says you need to start cutting rate? Would that mean cutting rates? And her response was, uh, you can almost, the, the sneering anger. She said, this rate cut is not even a word that we have pronounced. Yes, the data dependency applies to both determination of sufficiency restricted level, as well as the length of time where it has to stay. But we don't see any contradiction in having the two components in the same sentence. And she didn't even really answer his question, which was, you say you're data dependent. Markets are all saying the data is going to look really ugly at some point and maybe commercial real estate too. Wouldn't that mean exactly what markets are pricing in rate cuts? You know, it, it would, Jeff, but we know the Fed isn't data dependent. We know none of the central bankers are. We don't actually know how they come up with whatever they want. All we know is when they're on a trend to hike rates, that somehow the data is going to suggest they got to hike rates. And if it's not the right data, well, we'll just change the yardstick and say, well, now we're looking at this or that or here or there. And you're right. Central bankers don't want to cut. 
but they're going to. And that's what the bond market keeps telling us. It doesn't matter how long this inversion is going on in three tens or the two tens. It doesn't matter. It's telling us that these central bankers do not understand money. They do not understand the bond market. They don't understand their jobs at all. And if they did, they would start cutting rates now because the longer they keep going to this, inevitably, as we can just see, I mean, we're, we're seeing this in the commercial real estate. What about the rest of the stuff that bad things are coming and they just can't see it. And when they do react back to zero. Yeah, it's, it's not higher for longer. It's now inversion for longer. And as you said earlier, Steve, inversion for longer is not a good thing. It, you know, the longer the inversion goes on where we can't say, oh, yes, we had the recession and crisis, therefore it doesn't happen. That's recency bias and confirmation bias. It's actually the opposite. When you have longer term inversion or inversions that stick around for longer, that means the probability of getting to that point, even though we can't pinpoint exactly when that is, is actually rising all the time. Because if we were getting to the part, as you said, where the markets were healing, liquidity was coming in, there was enough bargains in the space that buyers were going to come over in commercial real estate, the economy was picking up because consumers are really loving this disinflation stuff, then what we would see is the markets say, oops, we did, we got this wrong, inversion, You know, let's, let's go into our bear steepening phase where nominal rates go up on the long end, they go up by a lot, we're not seeing that at all. Yet instead, we're seeing the inversion stick around for now what is a record. Uh, we're seeing um, you know, options investors betting on rate cuts again more heavily, even though we haven't had a bank failure for them to do so. It's really, when you look around and look under the surface, under the headlines, there really is no shortage of potential, potential problems in the economy, in the financial system, in banks. That would that would lead you to the same same position as we're seeing on the curves and in the marketplace. That's right, Jeff. And uh, I I don't know if I told you this, but I'm working on a paper, an academic paper about my theory here that there's going to be a work from home push because I'm hoping to get appointed to the FOMC board when all this is done. I know you're going to be excited about that, but uh, just want to share that with you as we uh, wrap up the show today. Steve, I want to tell you, I think your appointment to the FOMC is a bit of a long shot. <laughs> Why is deflation and recession such a big risk? Find out at the video link below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, as well as all our Eurodollar University members. And until next time, take care.